What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, I'm going to talk with USFL linebacker Scooby Wright about what was in week one for the Birmingham Stallions, what he's most looking forward to in week two, and the season ahead. Also, we're going to discuss spring football attendance numbers because, frankly, they are a big deal to those of us that watch college football, even if they are not a big deal to those that make the college football go. We'll talk about what those numbers are, why they are important, and what you can look forward to this weekend. But first, the Big Ten has announced who its new commissioner will be. You'll note that former Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren announced that he will be departing to take on president of football operations, I believe, uh, or president at the Chicago Bears, because, I mean, who passes up that job? But the vacancy left us all asking who could be next. And that ends up being Tony Petiti, who, frankly, has a resume that says, oh, yeah, this is a home run hire. And I'm going to get into the history of what this is while, uh, uh, a little bit later on. But the point here is he's the guy that created a super alliance in the 1990s. We're going to dig into that. He also ran Activision Blizzard there for a little while, which made Call of Duty and Overwatch, among other things. If you're not into esports gaming, uh, just means that you're a boomer. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. just means you're a boomer. He also ran uh, as president, well, ran the MLB network for 12 years. So he's got a major league baseball background, a programming background in college football that we'll get into. But I thought it was more interesting that his dad is an NYPD cop or was in, in a NYPD cop. He played baseball at Hereford College, graduated Harvard Law. And I thought this quote from... American Athletic Conference commissioner kind of nails it when describing Petiti. He has a quiet manner. He's quietly effective. He doesn't showboat. I think he'll fit the Big Ten culture very well. Now, I'll read shade into that, but that's because I'm me. Maybe Big Ten folks don't read shade into that at all. Being called, you know, quiet, effective, doesn't showboat. Sounds like three yards in a cloud of dust, but hey, that's getting it done. So, who is Tony Petiti in regard to college football? Well, actually a very big deal, right? So story time. Former ACC commissioner Gene Corrigan had sketched out what would it take for get a number one team versus a number two team in something like a national championship game in college football in the early 1990s on a napkin. What came out of that is what we know of as the Bowl Alliance. Now, what was cool about the Bowl Alliance is that it achieved its goal, right? Get number one to play number two for a national championship in said bowl, right? With Fiesta, Orange, Cotton, whatever it might be. It's also really interesting that the Bowl Alliance was formed without the Big Ten and without what was then the Pac-10, which means that Michigan, Michigan, uh, uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State for that matter, USC, UCLA, None of those were in it at a time when those teams were really good and everybody would have liked to seen them play in inside of, well, what many of us believe to be a really great model or the best model to date at the time to distinguish who is an undisputed national champion. One of the things that I personally don't like about the sport, but is the sport, is that we can have multiple mass national champions. And I'm just going, man, one for all. And you know what? Tony Petiti agreed with me. So when he was the vice president of programming, at ABC, one of the things that he wanted to do was get the Big Ten and the Pac-10 to buy into something like the Bowl Alliance model. 
And what he came up with was the BCS. Now, what was cool about this is as vice president of programming at ABC, he also understood what it would take to get the Big Ten, the Pac-10 to throw in their lot with the Bowl Alliance, but also what it would take to get the bowls on board with something like the Bowl Championship Series. In 2006, he told the LA Times, to be honest, we didn't have a plan in mind, but we knew what we wanted, a system that would guarantee matching number one and number two in a championship game at the end of the season, right? And at the time, ABC had rights to the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl. CBS had rights to the Orange and the Fiesta Bowl. And, well, this is where we get into the Super Bowl alliance. Separate those two terms so that, you know, they're not Super Bowl in the NFL. You get it. But one of the things that was really uh, hanging in the balance there is whether or not the Orange Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl would end up with champions, right? Because if you got conference champions that aren't playing in your bowl games, really does not put value into your bowl game. So one of the things he also came up with was we would rotate the bowls for the national championship game like we do now so that the Fiesta, the Orange, the Sugar, and the Rose would all have their say. Again, the Rose Bowl has its own way of doing business, which is why it was the last bowl game to throw in with, okay, we will make this work for the sanctity of the sport because everybody else is on time with the college football playoff expansion. So the BCS is announced July 1st, 1998. And then Petiti, he was gone. He'd actually left for CBS the year before in 1997. And one of the cool notes in all of this is that at least at the time of the story in 2006, Petiti had not attended a single BCS game. It's another way of saying he's like most executives that I know and most executives that frankly I adore. They do a lot of their work way in advance. And sometimes they show up to see what it is. Sometimes they don't. They're probably trying to get something else way in advance done. Now, former SEC commissioner, Roy Kramer, who's uh, who's building in his name, the SEC offices, is right next to the hotel that I stay in across the street from Protective Stadium in Birmingham, had been called the father of the BCS. But he said, look, if that's the case, then Tony is the number one son. Tony is the one who did most of the legwork. LA Times had this kicker in their 2006 piece about Petiti and how the BCS was formed. And it goes like this. It's not a perfect system, as Petiti said, but it is better than what we had before I have to say I'm proud of it. He conceded a playoff system would be better. It's the last great sporting event to be created in 2006. So this is a man that was prescient, right? Uh, forward thinking, could understand what the public wanted and how to get, well, the stakeholders on board with what the public wanted and give it to them, right? What do we got? We got to a college football playoff from the BCS because the BCS had whetted our appetite for something more akin to, can we just get good on good? Can we wait until everybody's no longer undefeated except one team? How do we do that? College football playoff got us closer to that. Now we're expanding it to include as many teams as is necessary. And I think we're there, right? With 12, I wanted 16, but 12 is a good number because you're going to get all of your conference champions in. You're going to get your Cincinnati's that run the table that you know might show up to the playoff and get beat down, but everybody deserves a shot at the belt. I believe that that's all we can ask for is a chance. And that's what sports is to me, the chance to prove, right? And I think Tony Petiti becoming the Big Ten commissioner at this time is going to give more teams a chance to prove whether they know it or not, but also puts the Big Ten in the catbird seat, man. Like for real, 
One of the things that was understated and underreported, frankly, about the expansion of the college football playoff model is that they still ain't ironed out the agreement on who gets what and how, right? So Petiti takes over the job in the same month where a Big Ten commissioner needed to be at the table to negotiate media rights among college football's network stakeholders. That'd be a place where I work, Fox, ESPN, CBS, NBC. You'll know that NBC has a Big Ten package that they're going to debut in 2024 when USC, UCLA join, so forth, so on. Notre Dame's going to want its seat at the table. SEC is going to do their thing. Greg Sankey's now two commissioners away from Roy Kramer. Mike Slive was also a big part of getting us to this point. And then George Klyavkov and Pac-12 had come to the agreement that we got to hire this guy because we know that this is on the horizon. And now knowing that Petiti's in the room, one of the other things I thought was interesting is folk close to him say, you got about 30 seconds to tell him what it is that you want or what you think you're going to do because that dude's probably way ahead of you. He either knows what you're going to say or wants to know why you didn't say it. And he's probably got an idea that is beneficial to you. You just can't see it. And me, I play a lot of chess, especially here lately. Uh, and one of the things that I value is not just being able to see ahead because I don't think that too many people can see two or three moves in advance. I see chess as 64 squares. And with each movement of a piece, there are only so many pieces that you can move. And there's only so many places you can go. So it's about whether or not you're going to get there first. You're going to see something that your opponent didn't see or you make peace with hey, I'm going to have to sacrifice this so I get ahead in the long run. That is what Tony Petiti does so well. He sees into the future and he sets you up not for today, but for 10, 12, 15 years from now. And as the Big Ten has entered into contracts that are going to pay like a billion dollars over the next like seven years, you want a guy that understands the weight of that. Who understands he's got Ohio State, Michigan, USC, UCLA, Penn State, Wisconsin, goodness me, uh, and is one of the two biggest conferences in all of college, especially as we're no longer sure that we're going to have an FBS model the way that we have one now with 131 teams. We're closer and closer to people going, peel off the top 40, peel off the top 30, and have them have their own league, and then let's create a separate division in between FCS and what we know of as FBS. And I think this is a great dude to have leading your conference. Uh, well, a conference has been around since the 19th century and who understands the value that you add and understands what your fans expect to. Home run hire there. All right, let's go from that spring story to the spring story, as far as I'm concerned, which is spring game attendance numbers. Now, I understand that there are a ton of people that could give a damn about spring game football attendance numbers. But as fans, there are only few things that we get to do to keep score. We don't get to throw footballs. We don't get to snap footballs. We don't need to get to make tackles. We don't get to work out in the weight room. We don't get to trash talk on the sideline. We get to go to games and we either get to point out that you suck, the rival, or that we're better than you. And one of the ways we try to point out that you suck or we're better than you is we have more of us showing up to our spring football game than you do, which sounds stupid on its face, especially for a glorified practice. But my goodness, do we ever just care? Okay, so over the past weekend, I found spring game numbers from all the games that I could find numbers from. Frankly, some folks just didn't put out the numbers, and, well, some, some of these numbers feel questionable. But I put them on a list, I sourced them, and I put them on the Twitters. And that lit up on Monday when you're listening to this on Friday. So it's worth stating that Ohio State had 75,122 people reportedly show up 
to their spring game. Now, folks that were there claims that that's an inflated number, but I can make an argument that all of these numbers are inflated. And either you have the audacity to inflate them or you have that many people that are there to vouch. Either way, 75 is a tremendously large number for people to show up to any football game. And, you know, wasn't that long ago that Ohio State would average better than that for a spring football game. Penn State claims to have 68,000. Uh, Tennessee put out 58,473. Georgia put out 54,000, but I put an asterisk next to that because there's a part of the stadium that's being renovated, which is another way of saying they had 68,000 last year. They could have probably had 68,000 this year after winning the national championship. South Carolina claimed 51,000 after Clemson claimed 50. <laughs> okay, sure. South Carolina had more people at Williams Bryce then they had Death Valley for their spring game on the same day. Fine, right? And then USC put out a number of 33,427, which I swear to you, I checked and comes from USC itself. Even as folks are going, maybe 24,000. And I was there. And then Florida State having 33,107 rounds out what I could find about programs that we care about. But it's also really important to point this out on Friday because Saturday, Oklahoma has a spring game. Alabama has a spring game. Iowa has a spring game. Colorado has a spring game. All of those could get into the top 10 spring football game attendance. And I'm not shy about saying it. I keep scoring this way. I hold a grudge that USC does not fill up the Coliseum every time the Trojans play football. Full stop. All I hear, all I hear everywhere I go is the blue blood that is USC. What Lincoln Riley has done, which is unquestionable, the kind of talent they have on display. You have the reigning Heisman winner who was frankly crowning being crowned once again at spring game play one snap you've got some of the best skilled players in the country you have an opportunity to play for the pac-12 championship on talent alone you ought to be filling up the coliseum i don't care what you have to do on a saturday in california it ought to mean more to you that reference is intended because at oklahoma when i go to the spring game on saturday and they unveil kyler murray's statue and Brent Venables is going, hey, I know we were six and seven, but we're going to be more physical this year. They've already seen this number and decided, okay, we got to get over 75. We got to find hell or high water. We got to bring grandma in. We got to make sure that we push the funeral to the other day. No weddings on this Saturday so that everybody can be in Norman, Oklahoma at the Palace on the Prairie to let everybody know what time it is. Every time Oklahoma's football team steps on the Memorial Stadium, steps on the Owen Field in Memorial Stadium. It matters to me. It's one of the reasons I want to do this segment. It matters to you. That's the reason that we actually do this segment. Okay, now that I've had it out about spring football attendance, let's talk about actual spring football being played. USFL Birmingham Stallions linebacker Scooby Wright joins the show, and I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. I'm pleased to be joined by... Birmingham Stallions linebacker and former unanimous All-American, Scooby Wright. Scoob, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, RJ. Thank you for having me on. Nah, brother, I appreciate you taking the time. Now, this is going to feel really college, but, like, you're on a team that's 12-1 and since the start of last year. So, yeah. and the one loss has been a regular season. You're the defending champs. So, how does it feel to know that you guys put that win in front of everybody in week one of year two? Yeah, I mean, uh, this year the biggest thing where our mindset is like one I know each week. How good can we be each week? We're not worrying about like I remember last year, like Coach Holtz touched on it on the first day, can't uh, first day of uh, of training camp. He goes, "We're not working to repeat. We're looking to win every single week." 
that's how we're going to attack it this week, this year. We're going to go week by week and just chop it down. So, yeah. I saw that in the first padded practice, you got like a red mark over your uh, nose. And apparently yeah. that, that happens to you every first padded practice of the year. Yeah, that's happened to me since I've probably been about, I don't know, since maybe eight, seven years old. I don't know, something about it, because maybe I use my head too much or who knows, but I always get a little red mark right here under my, right there from the helmet pushing down on my head. So, yeah, no, it's always good to get those and know you're in, that's when football is in. Well, you're also getting that because you're playing a lot of football, and I've been really enjoying how Coach Holtz and Coach Javis have looked to you, not just as an outstanding player, but as a leader on that team. Um, you didn't get to play so much in week one uh, with this mm -hmm. calf strain that's been bothering you. Is it better? How are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's getting better. It's feeling better every single week or every single day. Excuse me. Um, I just had a little procedure a few days ago. So I'm uh, looking forward to recovering from that and getting back on the field because uh, I was playing really good football. I have been playing really good football. I'm just looking forward to putting a good display of ball out there. And I'm just eager to go do that because I know how good I can be and when I'm healthy. You also know what you have around you, right? Like mm -hmm. one of the things I was enjoying is how you and Nate Holly have apparently become very close. You got this stepbrothers poster that you posted on the IG <laughs> and I need you to tell everybody what the heck is going on between you and Nate Holly there. Yeah. So I originally started with me, me and Nate Holly were Brody Bucks dads mm -hmm. and Brody was our, Brody was the redheaded stepchild. So that's really how it went down, but then they cut Brody. And then it's funny you actually said that. I mean, it's not funny they cut Brody, but it's, he's a great player. But me and Nate were talking about to our social media people today. You're like, yeah, all the stepbrothers content went out the window. So <laughs> it was kind of funny you brought that up. But uh, no, me and Nate, all, we're good friends. Or, yeah, we're good friends. And we just, uh, yeah, we, we're, we've been around each other a lot the last two years playing ball and stuff. And with even guys like Quentin Poling, the new backers we have coming in, Rashad Smith and uh, Elijah. So it's going to be really good with those guys and good group of back backers. How do you feel about the overall depth of your team and what you could see, at least, of the league? Because it, it feels top to bottom. You guys are much more talented all the way through the league. Yeah, I mean, it's most of our – I know on the defensive side, because I, I don't really focus on it too much on the offensive side because they just, you know, it's kind of – you know, thing, but you cheer for modern games, you do the best you can. But um, unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately, fortunately for us, we have, I mean, I remember looking back on the first day of practice, looking around, and the only guy who was really missing next to me was Gates. Mm -hmm. Everybody else in the back end was there. And our, we got, got some new defense linemen. We have great rotation with those guys and with the guys we have from last year and a couple new guys. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah, DeMarcus Gates uh, won Defense Player of the Year on this team last year. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also looking at guys like Christian McFarlane, who I think had 12 tackles in the opener uh, against the Generals. I'm also yeah. looking at the depth you have on the defensive line, the depth you have at cornerback. Has it been that competitive in practice from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, we try not to be too competitive in practice because the numbers are small, you know. I mean, that was our, really our first time going live. I mean, my first time tackling somebody was when I forced that fumble in the game. That was the first time we really, all right, I'm going to, I'm tackling this guy to go to the ground. But uh, yeah, it's Christian McFarland. He's a hell of a player. He's a, my cut him. He's one of my California dogs. He's from Sacramento, Northern California. So uh, yeah, he's a great player. I'm looking forward to him having a great year.
from year one to year two, what are some of the overall changes that you've seen? I mean, even right down to last year, all eight teams, and that means every single player was in Birmingham, yeah. uh, and you guys are still the home team. Now it's you all and the Breakers, and it feels like you guys are a little bit more settled. Yeah, no, it's definitely it has way more. I mean, I'll be the first one to say it. I mean, the Birmingham Stallions had a had a had a home game every single every single game last year. I mean, you know, but um, it was really cool to experience that. But this year we're going on, we're going to Memphis, Canton, and Detroit. So I'm really looking forward to those to those road trips and playing on the road because I love away games. I love going out there and seeing different things in different cities. Um, but yeah, just the whole entire just congestion of just the facilities and stuff. It's just way more low key. I mean. You still see the breakers, but we're on such different schedules. We hardly ever see them. I'm going to single out a guy on the offense that you may have had an opportunity to maybe just go against here and there and tight end Jace Sternberger, who also yeah. caught a TD from his roommate, Alex Magoo. And Jace is from around the way from me. He's from Kingfish, Oklahoma, which is a very small town, but only dude I ever know that went 14 and 0 in high school and then went 0 and 12 the next year at the University of Kansas. Became an All-American at A&M, right? Uh, and then a little bit of time in the, uh, in, with the Packers, Green Bay Packers. He showed up. Apparently, Coach Holtz had said to him and others, hey, guys, uh, you're behind. We're not doing addition and subtraction anymore. We're on to multiplication and division. And if you can't keep up, that's not a good thing for you because we got to get down to our active, and then we got to make 10 guys inactive. Did that, was that a dude that took that challenge on and – said, hey, look, I'm going to be here and try to make my talent what it is until I can catch up with the playbook? Or did he come in ready-made to play, to play? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I have no idea what Coach Holt said that and this and that, but Jace is a really great player. I mean, he was drafted high, high draft pick for a reason, and he's a great athlete. He's, uh, I think he just maybe needed more time to, to develop in the playbook to fully understand it. And, but he showed out in the game times when the lights, when the lights are brightest. That's the only thing that matters. Coach Holt will be the first person to say that. I mean, when it's, when it's game time, I mean, that's when I want you to play the best. And he showed out, so hats off to him. I'm telling you, man, like, it's really fascinating and fun to see because there's you in the middle, right? Unanimous All-American, greatest defensive player, if not player, in Arizona history, University of Arizona history. And then you got Jace, who I know, who I just told you about. And then Thad Moss made the team earlier in the year after winning mm -hmm. a national championship at LSU. It's a tight end. I mean, I'm looking around the league, Bo Scarborough in the backfield. I – when you look at the collection of talent, particularly on your team, are you overwhelmed? No, I mean, I mean, even just the, I mean, a couple more guys you want to go down the rabbit hole of like the Brian Allens, the, Ty, the Tyree Robinson, the T-Robs. I mean, Utah has been a great winning program for Utah and for, I don't know, for maybe what, the last 10 years or so, you said? Mm -hmm. And then Oregon, when, when uh, T-Rob was there, they, he was balling out, playing in the playoffs and this and that. So, I mean, we just have a high caliber of guys who come from winning programs and know how to put in work and know how to go about their business. And that's something we just try to do is just go about our business the right way. Going into week two of this season, uh, week two of this week, what are you most looking forward to about playing with a rhythm, right? The regular season rhythm is going to be in place now. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'm going to see how my uh, calf feels and kind of go from there. But, um, no, I'm looking forward to our team just getting better each and every week. I mean, our defensive side, we played great. I mean, 
some of the young, some of the other guys play on defense. That'd be cool to watch, and I'll cheer them on, help them out when I can. But um, yeah, who knows what's going to go on. Well, brother, I will see you again here in week three. I'm really excited for you guys' game against the New Orleans Breakers. They had a 300-yard passer, so I'm just going to throw that out there. They know that you've been 12-1. and one. I mean, they're coming yeah. after you. you. You feel some kind of way about them coming after you. I mean, honestly, RJ, I think everybody's coming after us. I mean, they want what we got, but we were 12-1 we were, we're and one for a reason, so we're just going to keep giving our best shot each and every week. Right on. Birmingham Stallions, linebacker Scooby Wright. Thanks so much for taking time, brother. Yeah, no doubt. RJ, thank you for having me on. My thanks to Scooby for joining the show. We look forward to having more player interviews from the USFL for you for the entire season. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our, my goodness, uh, lead of screening is Jack Coakley. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our intern is Stefan DeLaGuardia. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Wednesday. Plus, deuces. <laughs>